You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, producer, and filmmaker here to share inspiring stories and to walk their everyday life with you. Hope you guys are doing well and happy 222 day. Happy 222, no, 222-22, which is, uh, for anybody who's into this kind of stuff, is a very powerful day energetically. Um, if you're into manifestations and all that stuff, this is a really wild time um, and a good time to think about all of your goals and a really good energetic time for those to come into fruition, to make things that you want happen. And uh, it's actually a really important day regarding connections and relationships. So hope you guys uh, are doing well in all of yours and setting good intentions and then taking action on them because this is a really good time. Welcome to season two, episode seven, also as episode 167. And I'm here to talk about one of my favorite topics that I don't get to talk enough about on this podcast because I'm talking so much about relationships and feelings and whatnot. But we're here to talk about business and starting your own company and running your own company. And for this, I I had the great fortune of meeting an amazing individual a couple months ago and uh, invited her here because learning her story about how she has built her business and the, the road that she's taken from leaving her home country of Sri Lanka, coming to the States and just creating an amazing brand. Um, it's been really, really inspiring, and I'm so curious to see where she goes from here and for her to share her story with all of you guys. So this week's guest is Sajani Amarasiri, and she is the founder of Cola Goodies, which is an amazing food line that has teas and superfoods that are directly sourced from her South Asian roots on Sri Lanka. So delicious. I got to sample it and get treats from it myself. It's so, so good. But Sajani herself as a person, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner is absolutely incredible. She has roots working for Microsoft and Amazon out in Seattle. Uh, specializing in tech supply chain management, which now I understand so much more and have so much more fascination in because of what's been going on in the world lately. And then she has dived into her passion for connecting her roots to modern life with this brand, Cola Goodies. Um, so, so Johnny's focus on connecting cultures and communities across the globe got her the Google IO extended female entrepreneur of the year award in Sri Lanka, which is Not a surprise at all knowing her. And uh, she's now based in California and is on a relentless mission to ensure that cultures and communities from which wellness and food trends stem can also benefit in the representation and financially in this multi-trillion dollar industry. I love this woman's mission. I love her spirit. I love her vibe. And her story of how she has overcome many different kinds of odds and really carved a a place for herself in different industries and arenas in which she was not uh, familiar with, not necessarily uh, poised to to enter. She's just taken it on full force. So I think her as a person um, has a lot to teach and inspire any of us in terms of what it takes to go from you know, very unexpected roots and originations to, you know, running your own business and and making a dent in the culture and mainstream world. Um, I'm very, very excited to share this conversation with you. And for anybody who's out there aspiring to or considering becoming a business owner or entrepreneur or just really kind of taking their career by their horns and figuring out where they want to go, taking some leaps of faith and taking some risks and strategizing, 
hope this conversation really helps you because it definitely helped me in the, in the time that I've been able to know Sajani. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode, episode 167 on business ownership and entrepreneurship with Sajani. Yeah. Came in 88 with a dream of so bright eyed. They knew right away, sick of swim, there's no lifelines. Cutting the teeth on the move. Nobody's feeling the Welcome to first of all, my dear. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for taking the time after your fabulous vacation and to be here. We're we're posting this on a very auspicious day, which I shared with you in our email. Yes. <laughs> that we are on 22222. 22222. So, yes. <laughs> Bringing all the good energy right at the top. So really happy you're here. How are you feeling today? I am well. I am energized by you and I'm so excited to be here to chat. Thank you. I know you're a busy woman. So like I would love to just dive right in because actually, do you want to show the backstory of like how we met? I know. I'd love to hear from your perspective. (laughs) (laughs) So that was so fun. So we met at the um, gala. What's the name? Um, Unforgettable. Unforgettable gala. So let me start from there again. So we met at the Unforgettable gala just a few weeks ago. I think just like two months ago to date, actually, because it was December 17th or 12th or something. Um, I know. And we were there. So I'm the founder of Color Goodies. And I was there um, with in the Boba Guys um, section also giving out and being able to give out tasters of our Sri Lankan milk tea to all the gala Mm -hmm. attendees. And that's when you came up and you were like, oh my God, this is so good. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and I just loved it. And we were like, we have to catch up. We have to talk. Uh, I, that, and you said you love telling stories and here we are, we are telling stories now. We are. I love it because I, I'll tell you, I, I get to meet a lot of really awesome people, but not but. And, you know, there are certain certain folks that I meet that like the energy is really just kind of right there, right out the gate. Yeah. And that's how I felt with you. So when you and I chatted, it wasn't just pleasantries. It was more like, wow, I'm really excited about what you're doing. Like, tell me about it. You you were sharing your story. Like, it, it was very loud, but, you know, you got to kind of give me the the cliffs notes of, of what you were building. And I was just so enthusiastic about it. And your product is wonderful. I got to try it. It's so good. I, um, I was like, let's do this. <laughs> I know the energy that in that room though the energy was so amazing that's something I think for the unforgettable gala like you know the organizers and everyone who was attending there it was just so much support and openness and humbleness as well but also like this amazing excellence that was in the room and it was just such a great place to be and you and there was a couple of others that I met that night that like that energy is aligned so well and I've kept in touch since then. So that's been really awesome. I love it. I'll be real with you because I I go to various events. Not yeah. all events have that energy. It's yeah. not, you know, just, even when that's the intention of the event, right? Yeah. Even though that's what it's there for, depending on kind of a mix of many things, it doesn't always turn out that way, you know, yeah. like... It can be strange and there's, especially with networking there in Hollywood and even at these kinds of events, community events, there can be um, a vibe of like opportunistic vibes or like just there's a lot of mixed energies in there. But yeah, you're right. That night, I think in particular, there was this really 
I don't, we're all like freezing in that room, but we're also happy to be in person again. I think that there was really a good supportive, a good supportive like intention and, and exactly. you know, energy just circulating. It was really good. Yeah. And yes, I remember it was freezing, but <laughs> thankfully I had the only hot drink in yes, the room. <laughs> Perfect. I was like, Perfect. this is going to be something that hopefully, you know, one day we can talk about how, uh, thankfully, I had the hottest drink in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, I was able to meet a lot of awesome people who really were craving for some warmth and we had the perfect drink at the perfect place. <laughs> you really did. I'm telling you, see, that's all a matter of like perspective and like using things to your advantage. And you 100% did that. I'm very much that mindset of like, well, yeah, the room, it was freaking freezing. We're losing our limbs, but yes. like you had hot tea. That was amazing. So yes. You're, wel- you're welcome. Um, so Johnny, you have had such a crazy life, like just getting to know you and, um, you know, having our chats before this. I've just so, I'm personally really inspired by everything that you've gone through to be at this point where we're talking about the growth of your business and everything like that, um, because that is no small feat at all. Right. And I think a lot of people know that conceptually, we we know it's not easy to just start a business, become an entrepreneur and like make something out of nothing from an idea to like something that can sustain you, or even if it doesn't sustain you for it to have a life of its own and become a product or exist in the material Mm -hmm. world. Right. Um, so to catch everybody up, that's listening in, how would you, can you re fill me in on your story because I know the bits of it but I would love for everyone else to kind of get on the same page of how we got to this point of you you taking your life in your hands the way that you have um because I definitely have more questions but like can we get the, <laughs> how did we get here how did we get here so yeah. I'll start from when I was born <laughs> I was born and raised in Sri Lanka um mm-hmm. it's a tiny island nation um it's south of India in the Indian Ocean. And it's this beautiful, tropical, very complicated ethnically and racially um, and has a has a complicated history, but also is just a super beautiful and warm people. And so born and raised there and I came for college to the States. So imagine like, you know, you're in this like tropical, no seasons, just the monsoons. And then you <laughs> land in like Pittsburgh of <laughs> on, like 2009, the first time that I'm like land in America is to go to college. So, you know, now after I came, I realized that people have this entire journey of like, oh, they visit schools and, you know, they do all of these things. I, on the other hand, went to the Fulbright Commission in Colombo, I took out a book that said like 300 top schools in the US or something like that. And then I like, you know, filter it down by size. I knew that much that the US is so big that uh-huh. that there are schools that have like 10, 20, 50,000 people. And I knew for a fact that that would be too much for me. And so mm. I looked at like the it was some like teacher to student ratio or like some nerdy thing like that, I think. And then mm-hmm. I like, you know, just like randomly picked out like five or something schools and just applied. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I, then in 2009, I, and then I got a full scholarship to come and which is the reason that I ended up in Pittsburgh because everyone is like, hey, so how did you pick your school? And I was like, 
well, I got a full ride, so it yeah, was free. the one that paid for me to be there. That's how. That's how. <laughs> so, and then, and, you know, but even that is so interesting because that was one of, like, the biggest lessons that I learned uh, is at this, like, super young age that I still carry is, like, if you don't ask for it, it mm. doesn't happen, right? No one is, like, yeah. serving opportunities on a beautiful golden or silver platter for you. So yeah. when I when I had applied to come to college here, um, the Duquesne University wrote back to me and said, awesome, we love you. Here's an 80-person scholarship. Um, wow. And then my sister asked me, why aren't they giving you a 100-person scholarship? And I was like, <laughs> good Question. Good Why? question. Very good question. <laughs> Why aren't they giving us a hundred percent scholarship? So then here we are sitting down and writing and said, here are my grades, here are my extracurriculars. Um, I think I deserve a hundred percent scholarship. And they replied a week or so later and said, Great, here's your hundred percent scholarship. They go. And <laughs> I'm telling you to anyone who's listening here who think you can't earn $10,000 more or, you know, you can't ask for a salary increase because of some number or some external, you know, thing that we have told ourselves. Mm. Uh, just ask because the worst that can happen is that it's a no. Like the worst that could have happened is that I came for an 80% scholarship and my parents still had to pay for 20% of school, which is completely... You know, it's still hard, but at least it's 80%, right? You're 80% yeah, of the yeah. way there. So I think it, that was like one of the biggest lessons. So anyway, I came here. So born and raised in Sri Lanka, comes here in 2009, first time in America, um, and thought that my life was going to be like Gilmore Girls slash Friends, <laughs> you know, because that's what obviously. I, obviously, because <laughs> those are the two shows I had in Sri Lanka to watch. And uh -huh. then uh, also a bit of Gossip Girl, but that was like, okay, that is just not going to be me. Like, that's a different <laughs> life. That's a bit far. That's a bit, we're <laughs> exactly. not doing that. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> um, and so, and then came here for university and in that part was like incredibly hard. I think the first six, seven months of like the, just the cultural shock and everything in terms of how people think, the food that is eaten here, how, um, what, how, it's, how everyone communicates, like even things like my spelling, for example. I remember I got like all these red marks on my, uh, on my first English paper. And uh -huh. it's because I had British spelling right like colors oh. and all of these so things you're adding extra use yes exactly <laughs> I was like adding use and like all of these things and they're like this is red this is not the right spelling all these things so it's just like even tiny things that like that um it was like a very hard six to seven months of I think adjusting um but you know I think it's just that like, contributed to who I am today. And if I didn't do go through that like transition of, you know, leaving home and coming here, we won't be talking here today. So yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad that you did that because it's so, as you're telling me this story, I'm engrossed and I'm imagining this whole thing. And I'm in my mind, just letting you know, I'm envisioning a side by side 
of what I was doing <laughs> and being so uneducated about college and like not knowing anything about anything in in a similar like yeah kind of and it was domestic to me right it's like right in my backyard but I was still as like I don't know I'll just go <laughs> I'll just go here thankfully I ended up some I went to a really good school but I think I was really very very uh under researched and like didn't ask any questions. I just kind of like, you could have given me a random catalog and I would have just pointed to stuff. I'm like, is it in California? I, just, <laughs> I know. I mean, is it, do you, were you the first uh, to go to college in your family? I wasn't. I actually was really fortunate. Um, to, I have parents who are very, really big in academics. And oh, great. I, I think it's funny. It didn't translate to a lot of guidance. It was yeah. just a very blunt expectation <laughs> that the guidance would have helped. But no, my my family, um, I'm very proud because my my dad, who they started university in Korea, yeah. but he came in his early 20s and he went to San Francisco Community College. Okay. As soon as he got, wow. and was not very, not really big on English or anything, but learned really quickly and was really committed to that. And then he went to UC Davis, which is a great school. Yeah. And um, studied aeronautical engineering there. Like it's wow. to to understand that now, because I just yes. didn't really have an appreciation. But to understand as now in my 30s, to know in your 20s, new country, yep. don't know the culture. You have very limited resources to understand things, but you're you're still just going. I mean, I see a lot of parallels there. And I have so much respect for you to take that plunge and just be like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then not only say that, but then actually do it and do it well. <laughs> I have so much respect and I applaud you. Thank you. No, and I think it's a lot also from my parents who... yeah who like my parents aren't, haven't gone to college, but my dad, when he was young... Um, when he was like 19 or 20, he got an opportunity to go to Japan through a government scholarship to study like glass technology because he was studying, he was working at a glass factory in Sri Lanka. And then, yeah. And so he got this opportunity to go and it just opened up his entire world of what it's like just outside of this little island that he grew up in right and mm-hmm. his his entire story is also amazing where he got from a came from a village then you know got to the city and then from there went to japan for five years and just wow. was working he's to date fluent in japanese which i'm like Whoa. what it's it's crazy so that is not an easy language to try to interrupt but not. like i've i've been told by my my ex boyfriend who's Japanese, but yeah. he's like told that they they made the language hard on purpose so that other people can't learn it. So I mean, I wouldn't believe that it is hard. I tried learning it for five years too because oh. you know it was, and I barely remember anything other than very basic Japanese. But wow. uh, it's just so interesting. So he goes to Japan, and there are these postcards that he wrote to his mom. And his aunt, who he grew up with, uh, when as he landed in Tokyo, and it's in Singhalese, and he writes like, "I have never seen this many lights in my life. Like it's so wow. bright in this city, and like there's so much to do." And uh, so it's just incredible. For I can't even imagine at that time, like in the seventies, 
going to like Japan uh, and like flying for the first time, you know, and you don't know yeah. what it's like and all of those things. So it's just, uh, it's just really amazing. So he went and then he, he had all the, this entire belief that you should always kind of leave the comforts because it grows you so much. But also because, you know, when you're back home, you'll just get so spoiled. And especially in like, South Asian countries, you like, you know, my mom would do everything for me or like, you know, I was not independent. And then I came here and then you just had to do everything on your own. And today, Mm -hmm. like that level of independence, now it's so hard to go back to. Like when I go back home now and if I don't have that level of independence, it's really hard. So it's one of those (laughs) things that they really wanted uh, to just like, you know, one is a brighter future for sure, but also like personally growing and having those experiences of living away from home and being more independent is something that they wanted for us. So, uh, so yeah, so they wanted it. And I was like, always like, ah, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't go. Uh, and I always had, I came here with the intention of going back home, but here I am like, what, 12 years later, still here. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't left. Haven't left. (laughs) Well, we're happy to have you. I'm so grateful to be in this country, no matter all of the faults and, (laughs) you know, it's, it's not perfect. But when I, when friends tell me that, uh, you know, especially my American friends, when they tell me like, oh, we, you know, there's so much wrong with this country. I'm like, yes, but it's so much better than so many other countries. And uh, we we have conversations here about how the country can improve, but, and that's not the same for a lot of places in the world. Right, right. That's a very, I think that's a very sobering and very important thing to have an exchange about because that's how I feel when I'm like, (laughs) You can't, I'm so sorry. Like, that's how I feel to people yeah, exactly. who come to this country. I'm like, I really, it's like you, you're inviting someone over to your house and it's just like a, a, a disaster mess. zone. And you're like, I'm so sorry. sorry. I have not had time to do the dishes. There's crap. I'm so sorry. That's how I feel. It just, it feels embarrassing. But I'm really, honestly, I'm very like appreciative to hear that because it's all relative, right? When you, um, I'd say, you know, there's so many things that Americans are very, very spoiled about. Yeah. And we take completely for granted because the the perspective can be so grossly different from like so many other experiences. And it's very nice to hear that. And I also think that that perspective lends itself to like genuine progress because you can look at it very objectively and not with so much shame or judgment. It's just more like, okay, well, this is how this goes over here. And this is how we can make this a little efficient and uh, it's a little, a little bit more better. And, you know, we can, we can improve. I think that's the thing about I think the American dream is still alive so and yeah so yeah okay well, that's very encouraging because I'm just like we're the worst I'm sorry can we just can we control can all we deletes just- set this over <laughs> so bad um but what I'm hearing out of your your parents story alone I think it like when I I've like I love your parents I haven't even met them but like your dad sounds like such a character and such a it set like such a great precedent for you because yeah, when I do look back on like where I come from and my family and my lineage, I, again, did not take that fully into consideration until more recently, how mm-hmm. much I was already kind of, what I, even if it wasn't directly said to me, maybe all the time in words, it was 
an expectation or a standard or a freedom that I had and a privilege that I had to kind of spread my wings and fly because contrary, even though I have like pretty strict parents in certain ways, like they've been really, really encouraging, like, yeah, go do your thing. Like that's, that's important. And your, your dad was already, you know, pioneer going in from Sri Lanka to Japan. That's a very big cultural language environmental food like i i have to ask him how was it the first time having sushi because like you know (laughs) i don't think like when i was growing up in sri lanka now they had japanese restaurants i don't think they had that when at the time that he went so i was like how was like i know for a fact that my mom when the first time she went to japan in the 80s she didn't eat sushi because she had never had it. She had never had raw fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she didn't eat it. So my dad was like trying to make her eat sashimi, but didn't <laughs> eat it. Right. And then he made fun of her because then she had her first sashimi back in Sri Lanka. And I'm like, and I'm like, wait, you didn't eat sashimi in Japan. You ate it. You ate it. You came to Sri Lanka. <laughs> exactly. So it's just so many things, right? I just can't imagine like at that level. And because he, you know, at least I had a very good, like, I mean, it's, I'm still ESL, but I can speak right. Like I consider English uh, like a close uh, second language for me and mm-hmm. whereas he you know he learned English while in Japan so that was wow. like a, another crazy thing where he's like writing these things and he would send it to one of his relatives back in Sri Lanka who was an English teacher to like correct stuff and learn wow. stuff and I'm like that's just next level dedication that <laughs> yeah. I don't have <laughs> That's no, I would argue I can make I I don't I haven't known you that long, but I can make a I think I can make a pretty strong argument that you that you do. Because that that I think that determination, that persistence, that willingness to like try and fail, mm-hmm. it shows up in other ways. Maybe not with the that language yes. or that specific setting, but that that's so fascinating to me. And I love that I I didn't expect that this would become like an homage to our parents or exactly. and to your parents, but I think that there's something really, really beautiful there. Um, about how we're set up to take certain steps or risks or whatever, sometimes in, like in spite of how you're raised, yep. right? I, I actually have friends in my family's uh, circles and, you know, just different people who have been really kind of held back. Yep. And because of that, they felt this rebellion to kind of launch forward and break free from that. And that's definitely real. Yep. Um, actually, one of my former boyfriend, when I was in my 20s, a boyfriend of mine, you know, I, I personally... My judgmental ass was like, <laughs> I feel like your parents kind of hold you back. Yeah. Like, that was my opinion. I, I thought he was incredibly smart, really talented, had so much to offer. Yeah. And they were not at all encouraging of him pursuing a higher education that he wanted. It wasn't, it was like the opposite of like, wow. you have to go do the, he wanted to go to yeah. grad school. And they were like, no, you oh, can't. Wow. You have to stay at home. You have to help us. Like, it was very, and it made my heart break a bit. Yeah. And, I didn't want to impose my values or belief, but it for me personally, it was hard to witness somebody that I thought had so much to offer himself in the world yep. and to be like with parents and family that were like trying to stifle that in yeah. a way. That's how I looked at it. But it's that's their their path. But I'm really glad that that set you up. So when you were in Pittsburgh <laughs> in the freezing cold, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and uh, and pursuing what were we, what were you studying? So the supply chain management. 
too. Okay. I know. So now everyone knows what supply chain I is. Given, <laughs> given the last two years we've had, right? But yeah. in back in 2009, when I came, supply chain was not a cool thing that cool kids did, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was, which is exactly why I did do it. So one of my international advisors or student advisors, um, I had chosen to do international business when I came to college. And she's like, you're an international student starting business. Uh, truthfully, this is not going to get you like great like job opportunities. And I was really like now looking back, so grateful for that advice. And she mm. also said, if you want to stay in this country, you have to do a little bit more of a specialized one because everyone's going to be doing either international business or marketing or something like that. And I was like, well, I'm in a liberal arts school, so I can't do a STEM degree, but mm. supply chain is like just like course or two courses away from like industrial engineering. I went into a class. The class size was super small. So that translated in my 19-year-old head to, oh, it's niche. And then it, <laughs> and then um, I was like, yeah, let me do this. This makes sense. It's about getting product from A to B and getting products into a customer's hand. Like, how hard can this be? And, mm-hmm. uh, and I graduated with supply chain management. So, wow, I know. And I, I'm now, I think of like how just like, you know, there are things sometimes that just happen and it's either, you know, you're not in control of everything. And this is one of those things that just happen. And now I look back and even where color goodies is, supply chain is such an integral part of it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't even know the ins and outs of supply chain management. Just very, I'm imagining the most basic of basic understandings especially from this recent crisis, but knowing what you shared about with with the product that you make and that you have this relationship internationally with the product itself, it was like already, it was, it was like the, the road was being paved beneath you. I feel like. Yeah. And it's so interesting because supply chain, like any business other than if it's like a service business, probably Mm -hmm. uh, has a supply chain management, any part of it, like, Mm-hmm. Uh, so even as we sit on this like podcast, there's so much technology behind this that and when we think about technology, we don't think about the supply chain that goes into these hardware devices, right? Which is actually right. what then I did after college. I went to Microsoft and I'm right now sitting at uh, my computer, which is a Surface laptop. And that is the hardware division uh, that I actually started as my first supply chain job. Um, wow. Was, you know, putting the, the this laptop together and that's where the tech supply chains come in. So like anything we touch has, any physical good has a supply chain I- integrated into it and we just don't think about it, right? So it's so interesting how all of that came into play after <laughs> I, I love it I'm I'm a very big believer in um you know the dots don't have to connect the way that you think and they yep. can just be random dots that you but they all connect we connect all of them and they can be in the most random of places from Sri Lanka to Pittsburgh to supply chain management to Microsoft you did you move to Seattle for that right yes I did and I also had uh my fiance at the time who was uh-huh. already in Seattle and I and then again it was like my 
H1. So I needed, so I graduated and a huge thing that a lot of immigrants and international students go through is finding a job to sponsor your visa. So mm. that was like the next challenge that I definitely had. Like I graduated and I was like, okay, you know, I, I mean, this is not going to be that hard, right? Like I can find a job. I graduated. So in my head, like it's all these ego-driven things, right? Like I was mm-hmm. like, I graduated summa cum laude, like 3.98 GPA. I was like, of yeah, course, you did. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a job. But then it, what happened was that every interview, the first question that they ask you is, do you need sponsorship? And oh. that is an automatic disqualifier for a lot of jobs to mm. because they don't sponsor international you know, students or like anyone who needs an H1B because it's such a hard process to go through. Yeah. So, and anyway, in the East Coast, I had like Pittsburgh didn't have many of those opportunities. So I had to be in New York or in the West Coast where there's a lot of tech jobs and where, because tech industry is one of the biggest, I think the biggest sponsor of all H1B visas in this country so so I was like okay West Coast that lines up my fiance is there I'm gonna go to Seattle so that's basically how I ended up in Seattle and then I did a contract job at Amazon back in 2012 Amazon was like really cool as well and they were definitely growing but now they're like what 10 years later just like huge Uh, a little bit bit. um and then so that was like i i joined amazon as a contract uh assistant buyer in the home division and then uh while i was there i was just like you know and it was so um so soul crushing i think that would be one of the hardest periods of my time of my life where i've like i felt so out of it's beyond my control where I have done everything right to be in this place. And I'm applying and I'm applying to all these different, amazing opportunities, but I couldn't go ahead with any of them. Yeah. So, uh, but thankfully there was this company across, you know, the pond that is that that's why we called Microsoft because it was uh, (laughs) Amazon was on one side of the lake and then, Microsoft's on the other side of the lake. And I was, uh-huh. and then I applied uh, for this job uh, for one of their college hire programs. And um, they were this amazing company that waited one and a half years to wait for my processing of my visa. And then um, I joined them and it was such an incredible four years uh, at Microsoft. Amazing. I love that. Wow. So much to, I, I love the persistence. I mean, there's such an underlying thing and we'll definitely have to take a little break in a second, but just, just to like reflect on the fact that even to that point to have to deal with the difficulties and setbacks that you did with being an international, how would you international student at that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you have the love of your life also, your fiance. And yes. like, there's a lot there. Like, right. It's not even just like the logistics of um, getting the job, but also what's at stake. Yeah. <laughs> because that's should true. you, should you fail? Should the mission, should this mission fail? Yeah. That's a really big upheaval 
of your life and self. And the fact that you had the wherewithal, the patience and whatever, you know, it's it's so many things because depending on the day, you got (laughs) to, you got to apply a different kind of pressure. I I just really, I'm so glad that you made it. I'm not surprised. Uh, but I think that that's, that's very telling of like where you're going to go in the future because I, I kind of, I actually just did a Valentine's Day episode Ooh, <laughs> where I, I saw on your Instagram page. It came on yesterday. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and you're out there having a gorgeous trip with your husband, <laughs> like looking absolutely <laughs> stunning and you guys all need to go follow her Instagram. She's so beautiful. It's just ridiculous. But I'm like here being very single and <laughs> Really happy though, and and I was writing a love letter to myself Aww. because that's what I do to I heal. I love that. And it was kind of taking those things in consideration to like take a moment to just really take stock of what I've gone through and yeah. give myself a little pat on the back to be like, you know what, that was that was really that was not easy. Good exactly. job. Exactly, and I think we tend to, you know, when tough moments happen and tough things, mm-hmm. when you're going through tough things, you get you get sucked into it, right? And if you just take check, check yourself once and be like, hey, look at all the things I've gone through to make it this far, right? Yeah. And just remove yourself for a little bit. And it's like, if I did it once, I can do it again. And yes. I think that just, I think the hardest part is remembering that because it's so easy for our minds to not be on our side when it mm-hmm. is the tough times. But mm-hmm. just like this new mantra that I learned, um, I was reading in the said amazing vacation that I was taking. I read this book, Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. And in <sighs> there, they, they, he had like this old, um, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's some, I think, Asian culture uh, uses this mantra I think it was Zen uh, Buddhism, but I can't mm-hmm. exactly remember. But the mantra is, make my mind my friend. Make my mind my love. friend. Oh, I so, love it. Yes. Yeah, so whenever you are going through those things where just the mind is not on your side, if you just like say to yourself, make my mind my friend, you know, instantly. I'm here for it. Yes. I'm here for it. <laughs> Thank you for, I love that. And with that, we're going to wrap this first. We're going to take a little quick break because... So much more to share and so much more to dive into. So we'll be right back. I'm satisfied. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Bull Book, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Hey, first of all, fam, if you're a fan of the show and would like to support, consider backing us on Patreon. You can join our Discord community and get different perks by going to patreon.com slash first of all podcast. 
If you'd like to support in other ways, you can go check out firstofallpod.com or subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite platform or just follow me on Instagram because I love hearing from you. Thank you all so much for the support and enjoy the show. Well, okay, so we've set the stage so well and already kind of gotten into some of the reflections of what it's like to be be able to deal with hard things. And I think that's a very, I personally think that that's a really good foundation to start off because we talk a lot about in general, at least in America, when we talk about building your business and entrepreneurism, there's so much talk about the good stuff, which is which is true, like working for yourself, the freedom, um, following your mm-hmm. dreams and, and and making a passion like your job, right? And that's that's all good and true, but I don't know if it's the masochist in me, but I I, I I'm like, give me what's the hard stuff? I want to know <laughs> exactly because it's not all that yeah. fun. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the part I'm really glad that we set this foundation and started talking about that because I I know like what already got you to where we we left off which is at Microsoft doing mm-hmm. tech supply chain management. Mm-hmm. Which I wish we could have a whole other hour and a half just to talk about that. <laughs> like can you educate us cuz we all need to learn. <laughs> um but we're going to talk about cola goodies because where did what was the impetus to like go from a Microsoft job, which to a lot of people, and this is where I talked about this actually in a previous conversation on the great resignation, mm-hmm. that everyone's standards of, of success and like what they aspire to have, that could be their pinnacle mm-hmm. and uh, no shade on that, mm-hmm. right? That's that's a great secure gig. And like, if you're you're doing your thing, where was it kind of like starting to percolate in you that that might not be it for you? It's so interesting because I think it just never, yes, like being at Microsoft was like this dream job, right? I never ever thought I that that was possible because I didn't mm. grow up around tech. I didn't grow up around, you know, just seeing people and that's smart. Like I, it was smartest people I've ever worked with were all mm. around me. And then my parents were so proud, like, wow, they just did so much hard work and they had like, you know, everything that they had earned, they don't have a 401k or anything. It's all for the kids' education and getting us into this amazing place, right? And they were so proud of uh, me, of being where I was in my career and everything. Um, so then to go from that to be like, um, excuse me, I am quitting next week. Uh, <laughs> was definitely interesting, but I don't think it came just overnight. So I started working at Microsoft. I loved it. It was a lot of, lot of hard work because it was a lot of uh, supply chains. It also means global supply chains of product movement, China, Seattle, time zones are crazy. So I was working and I was also working with Europe and it was just a lot. I, Mm. it was mornings, nights. Um, It was definitely not a work-life balance. It was work-life integration of, Mm -hmm. you know, putting life in slots of where work was not happening. Uh, But that at the same time, I started craving more for like these creative stuff and just like doing side hustles. I was, I first came to LA actually and 
went to the garment district and got a bunch of clothes and put it on our online store uh, wow. and created an online store. Exactly. So I did that. And then I just learned so much about e-commerce, about like marketing and how much money it takes to, uh, you know, like get a, build a brand and also needing to have a personal connection to something that you're doing. Like, yes, I loved fashion, but I don't love doing that as a job. And I didn't think that was impactful for a lot of people. Uh, mm. And I just learned so much from that experience of like, what drives me is that I, I have, it has to be impactful and it has to be something uniquely me and something that my perspective and my experiences can enrich someone else's life. And so I just like learned through all of these things and then uh, I started, uh, I wanted to start networking events back home in Sri Lanka. I knew that I want to give back to home as much as possible. And yeah. I knew that, you know, even us just like chatting here is because we randomly met an event and we kept in touch, right? And yeah. that is the power of networking. And that doesn't really happen too much in South Asian cultures, where you mm. randomly reach out to someone. But networking is the cornerstone of like so much happening in my life and how like, you know, you come here as an immigrant knowing zero people, right? And then you mm -hmm. build a life and you you kind of get to curate what you want in your life and you do that by meeting people. And so I just knew that that has to be something that is more normal that was happening. Mm -hmm. So you know, as a normal person would do, I was like, oh, let me sit in Seattle and think about starting a networking event in Sri Lanka and let me partner with co-working spaces to do that. And that, because that's how, uh, you know, all of the networking events that I had gone to has taken place in co-working spaces. Mm -hmm. And then I realized there are no co-working spaces in Sri Lanka. And then as any other normal person would do, I was like, oh, let me build a co-working space in Sri Lanka. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And well, obviously I need to go build one. Exactly. There isn't I mean, one. If there yeah. no one is doing it, then I should do it. Yeah. And so it's so interesting how like, you know, some of these thoughts, you I I do really think that some of it is just like so I think innate as well. I don't think I deliberately think through these things sometimes mm -hmm. and be like, I want to do this, I want to do that. It's just like sometimes these th thoughts come and it's like maybe it's because I have no limitations in uh, like what I think I can do. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll go and build this. So I think it wasn't an overnight thing of like, let me quit Microsoft because I loved corporate. I, after six, seven months, I figured out the corporate game. I was like, oh, this is like, I'm great at my work. I have to be a great people person. Like, so if anyone's listening here and is in a corporate job, you just have to be great at your work and great with people. Like that is what corporate is all about. Is, yes, please. <laughs> yeah. <Give> that tutorial. <laughs> you are like, you have to market yourself and you have to market your work. And that is what corporate is about. You can't just sit down and just do your work. Like no one around the company is not gonna, is gonna know about just this amazing one thing you did when you're just you know, a small part of a huge machine. So mm -hmm. 
So I loved that part. Like I loved Microsoft and I, you know, got a promotion every year and I was in a great career path over there as well. But I knew that I wanted something more. Um, and then one of my mentors who was a CVP at Microsoft, he asked me a very important question where I was interviewing for a chief of staff role uh, in Microsoft Cloud. And this was 2018, so four years ago, and Cloud was really blue booming. And this would have been an amazing opportunity uh, because once you become a chief of staff, it's like director path. And, you know, you can, I could have totally go, gone in that path. And mm-hmm. then he, so I was meeting him to ask and prep for this uh, interview. And then, but I also had talked really a lot about this co-working space that I want to start and all of these things. And he asked me this question and he, and he had known about all my other side hustles while I was working as well. And mm-hmm. they had never said anything. Like, don't do it on, I think, as far as it didn't interfere with work uh, and it wasn't like, you know, and it was not at all related to work. So they had no issue with it, right? So Mm -hmm. they knew that that fuels my creative side to in order to do my job better. So I think that's also another really great thing about like being a good manager, I think, or like having good management is like, you don't stop people that are in your company who clearly are people who want like who thrive in these situations you don't want to stop them and stifle their creativity yes um agreed yeah and then so he asked this question like how much money do you need in order to not chase your dreams or something like that and he said something like you know you keep doing these as your side hustles but we know that this drives you like like why don't you just try it for a bit but I had wow. I know exactly, and I had never ever, you know, thought about quitting, like corporate. I had never mm-hmm. thought about it because I was like, oh well, you know, this is like this amount of like our starting salaries in tech and the bonuses and the stocks you get. It it is like unheard of. Like I I don't think my parents had seen like my starting salary level of, you know, uh, like money honestly coming from Sri Lanka and so like I would never thought I would actually leave that on the table and uh go on a tougher path but then like maybe it's the craziness in me and I'm like yeah you know what maybe that's an interesting thought to engage with and then it was like breaking it down and like okay what does that actually mean how much runway do I have so and then there was a lot of those other things. But yeah, it wasn't like an overnight thing of, okay, I hate corporate and I'm leaving it. And it, and it was a very hard decision to do given my economic background that I came from and, uh, you know, what I had personally attached myself to as achievement and my identity and being independent and being financially free. Um, since I was basically 18, 19, because I was in college, I became an RA to pay for my university. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and then what does this mean if I'm going on this leaving corporate and going on this route? So there's a whole lot to unpack there. <laughs> I love that you're, I love that your boss was so involved in 
encouraging you and challenging you too, yeah. because I think at the end of the day, it's still you're you're you are answering that question, and you're the one that's going to have to walk that talk if you decide that. Yep. But I think those are all very those people that can can be that pivot point of like, what are you going to do? What do you want? And what is it going to take? Because it could it can really change the outcome. That trajectory of your life can be altered by those you know, questions. And I actually had a boss in tech as well. I was working at Macy's.com and she was the one who encouraged me to leave to go run Collaboration, the nonprofit where I basically found my people and found my creative outlet and and what drove me to want to pursue acting finally on the side of that. I was triple hustling, but it was, it was, I just, I appreciate her so much for being a really much needed voice that I didn't need Mm -hmm. that I didn't know that I needed to be like, we're always going to be here. You have, you have skill sets that, and you're, and mostly she's like, we love you. It's more like, she's like, I will make a job for you. She's like, we're not going anywhere. Just go, go do your thing. If it doesn't work out, come back. And she was very, those people that, that can question you, encourage you, give you some sort of safety net, even if you know, like, you know, I don't really want to come back to this. It doesn't matter that that can give such a good launch pad. Exactly. And you never take that risk. Exactly. Asking those questions, I think are such a amazing part of like being a mentor is like, you know, is asking those questions because you're not as a person, as a mentee, is probably not even thinking about it because you're so ingrained in, oh, no, this is my career path. Obviously, like I want to go and be this and then I want to earn that salary and like all of those things. And then like, you know, just removing and being like, hey, but how about in 10, 20 years? Like, do you wish you did this? Mm-hmm. And just uh, just putting the brakes and just thinking about it. And is this even doable? Is and you know sometimes it's not doable for everyone right like Mm -hmm. I was in a fortunate position where um, I had saved up ridiculously like you know a lot and I was in Seattle it was a less expensive city but at the same time uh, I was basically like you know me and my husband like if you're going to get into the nitty-gritties like we were like me and my husband we made sure that we saved one person's salary basically and didn't like you know uh like spend too much and we were like yeah. very budget conscious at the very early stages of our careers and uh we were very we so because of that we were able to get investments going we had bought a house when we were like 24 uh wow yeah so we we were very like you know i was i would say i'm like even to date usually good with money like off like you know I do splurge here and there but good for do. you good yeah splurge girl oh you work hard for it I know manage it but I think that is such a like financial literacy especially for women I think is mm-hmm. such an important thing that we should pay attention to from the very beginning is like hey how much are you saving how much are you willing to save and I think that's a big question that you should ask for yourself when you are thinking about leaving your comforts. Like, is am I willing to? Because sometimes you might not be willing to have a lifestyle compromise or, uh, or you know, or not able to like, but I think that's an honest question that you should always ask so that then you know where you stand and you're not like regretting any of the re- decisions. So, right. So, there's a lot of, 
logistics in that because what what I have discovered in even like leaving a, a salary job, even if that the salary that was on the lower side, like I still was getting paid and I yeah. had some sort of income to plan ahead with and strategize. I went freelance in 2018 and I, I would liken that in like pursuing being an artist full time yeah. as being a very risky entrepreneurial act. And I didn't fully fathom that at that time. Yep. And Stoney, I think like I, I look at you with like stars and my emoji is like the stars <laughs> in my eyes because I was so... I I'm, I worked hard, so I made money, yeah. but I didn't spend it well. And I did not I did not take the time nor the effort to get disciplined with that or to understand the systems in which I could squirrel away money, even not that much money, right? So, yeah. for example, you know, compounding interest, if I did that in like a life insurance or got bonds or something that could set me up later that I could let my money work for me, even in little increments, because yeah. that does so much when yeah. you start, if you started at like 21, 22. Yeah. Like, I could retire soon. I don't know. Like, it, maybe not retire, but like, I would have so much more money available to me now to like self fund my projects and yada, 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 right? There's yeah. so many other things that, um, were not in my wheelhouse mm-hmm. and like that I didn't take into consideration when attempting to, because I think that process of becoming an entrepreneur and owning your own business, there's a huge component of capital. I mean, this is yep. business is money and money is how we, pay for the roof over our head and and eat. Yep. So I completely hear you too on like being female, like the whole money conversation and especially being an entrepreneur, being a business owner is so, so, so new. Yeah. It is so, so, so new. And there's so many messaging prompts that I think subliminally women have been given over our lifetimes that make that barrier of entry very, very significant, mm. not unsurmountable. Like we can, over, clearly we're overcoming it yeah. leaps and bounds because that's how we do, you know, but, uh, it's, it's, it is a very big barrier. So I'm curious, like what that was like when you had all this money that you've been saving up, you have this amazing partner who's on board with you, yep. um, becoming the entrepreneur as, as a woman, was that, was that anything in terms of like on a practical level, did you find it hard to raise money or were you entering certain programs or did you, you know, face pushback in any way? I'm really curious how that was going on your end from leaving a very wonderful corporate job to like, I'm going to create co-working spaces and eventually, you know, product. <laughs> yeah. what, what were, the, what were those barriers? I think the biggest barrier, so I still haven't actually raised money. Uh, It's been self-funded. And I think doing that uh, gets you also like, I think it's good and bad. I think it's good in a way that you are super resourceful. Um, You are budgeting every cent that goes into everything. And you are negotiating those deals like insanity but at the same time i think it is there is a point where entrepreneurs have to be comfortable and say look now i have to go and raise money and i have to step outside of my comfort zone and i mm-hmm. still haven't done that so this is not this like perfect story of like hey me i'm so amazing i think mm-hmm. there is a complete weaknesses on my side when it comes to money where i um just I'm like still like that's one of my goals this year is I want to go and raise money so that I can do much bigger things with what we have done with color goodies and there's a lot of things there 
to unpack as well that I've been thinking about. It's like this entire thing of like going and asking for money from because of all of the stuff that that you know like I was ingrained with in terms of like hey just be independent like I didn't I don't like getting asking for money from people and just things like that mm-hmm. so those are things that I have to unlearn and go and do but I in terms of like barriers I think one of, one of the biggest things uh, like when I was starting the co-working space was people didn't know what co-working was in Sri Lanka when I was doing that. So when I went to all of these like, you know, buildings and meeting the owners who are typically older Sri Lankan men and I'm Mm -hmm. saying, hey, so I'm going to start this thing and they're like, so it's like, you're going to do this, like you're going to have an office space and then people come and work there and they pay you something and then you pay us. I'm like, yes, correct. This is exactly this business. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, and it, it's just things like, I I don't think it was more racist, like not, not racist, more sexist or just because I was a woman. I think it was mm-hmm. a more of a knowledge gap in, in the, in co- the country that I definitely faced. But later on, I also faced things like, uh, like, I just didn't realize there were there were there are people in Sri Lanka that uh, have so much connections, have so much mm-hmm. networks. Again, like you know, if you're born into a certain like lifestyle and living, like you're now able to like all your friends are investing, and it's the same thing here, right? But mm-hmm. in Sri Lanka, I was a very like middle class family that we came from, so none of my friends or my friends' dads were going to invest in this business that I was going to start, you know? Right, but, right. So, but, and it's the same thing that happens in the US. It happens all over the world. So I didn't even think about like asking for money. Uh, mm. And I just said, no, I'm going to do this. And I don't think I could have actually given the networks or the knowledge that I had at the time. Um, so, and then there, there did, then later on came big players who had deep pockets and were like having, you know, huge investments and stuff that coming in. So, um, so I think the biggest thing for me was that. And also I noticed that, um, like later on, I noticed that people, would poach my employees because, you know, we trained the first community managers in Sri Lanka at a co-working space. Like we were the first co-working space, the only female founded one, the only female funded in this entire country. And it was an all female team that was running it. And yeah. And then other people now, when they were starting co-working spaces, they needed community managers and they would poach my community managers. And I'm like, dude like that's not cool and yeah. and then they yeah. would like message me and be like oh I thought you'll be okay with it I was like in what world do you think yeah. I would be okay with this and, then, and 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 I feel like at the same time it's because like I'm not in those like clubs or where they are like you know chatting and talking and saying do this do that like you know of like I think and not in the same social circle. So there's a bit of that. I don't know if it was necessarily being a woman, but necess- definitely not being in the same circles um, right. of social as well as financial, as well as um, the more men-orientedness of it, um, of uh, business style there uh, definitely was, was a little bit of a challenge. And I think, uh, but you know, a lot of these things, like what I say is like, let's 
like, you know, who cares about what they think about us being a woman or yeah. not? Right. We yeah. are here to get a job done. I, I don't even let that usually like come across my mind. Um, most of the time I'm like, I don't care. Like, love it. <laughs> but I think it's uh, the reason why I bring it up is not to overly harp on it. Cause yeah. I wonder too, I'm very big on law of attraction. So I'm like, I'm not trying to have that energy yes. circulate in me. Cause exactly. I'm not trying to bring more of that in my life. However, as like the practical strategist in me, and I'm a bit of a scientist, like yeah. I need to know what I'm working with and yes. it's just data. Yeah. So the emotional attachment that I feel, I think I've been getting so much better at detaching its significance yeah. or it's like this imagined barrier saying like, oh, this is why I cannot blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's very real. I'm not trying to make light of that. But yes. to me, I think the the internal work I've personally been doing is be aware of it. And then, yes. and then manage my relationship with it, saying, got exactly. it. So historically, and do it anyway. this is how it's exactly. been. Exactly. And then do it <laughs> anyway. And sometimes that, that gives you better, like, not to make it a violent analogy, but it gives you better weapon to deal with. You know yeah. what your enemy is. You yeah. know that you're going to walk into a situation that people may or may not have biases against you because of the color of your skin, your age, your gender, what have you, right? Just the exactly. fact that you're, your look even, maybe it's the clothes that you wear. Maybe you're all the right things, but they just don't like your style and they can't believe that you, you know, wear Nike instead of Adidas. I don't know. I know. Like, <laughs> a million different reasons why people may just be like, oh, it's not it. And you can manage it from there, right? As long as you kind of just have awareness that this may be the case and I don't, at the end of the day, don't care. I choose not to let that yeah. stop and my then, efforts. And then not the right partners for you. Actually, that reminded me of one situation that happened recently. So we closed the co-working space in June of mm-hmm. 2021. And uh, with the pandemic, it was really, really hard to just like manage it. I hadn't gone back home with air travel being all of, you know, restricted and everything. Right. And um, it was a We closed in June 2021, but I had attempted to actually sell the business. Uh, But in the pandemic, it was obviously very hard to sell a co-working space (laughs) to to anyone. (laughs) But one of the conversations was that... um, then we, you know, I had extensively gone back and forth and they were looking very promising. We had given the numbers, the spreadsheets, the, all of that. And then he came back with this, this uh, gentleman, he came back with the off, with an offer and he started the sentence saying, if I was being kind and uh-huh. if I was being kind to you, I would offer X. And I was like, let's stop the conversation right here. Wow. Because I, I'm not a charity. This is a business. And yeah. uh, you do not have to be kind to me. And I don't think this is going to be a good partnership. And I think just that probably, then like, later on when I thought, I think that probably was one of the maybe more, like even though it's not overtly because I'm a woman, but I don't imagine a place where a guy would go to another guy and be like, if I was going to be kind to you, let me do this for you. Yeah. You know, so I think there's just like subtle things like that. Uh, but you know Microaggressions. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Microaggressions. Like, you know, so... Um, Let's, yeah, it, well, it was not the right partner. And honestly, I am so glad that I left it the way, like we closed it and just seeing the impact and people pouring their hearts out about 
how it impacted them, the space, the community, and having mm-hmm. the closure is has been just like so like amazing for me to then pour my energy into cola. So, uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was maybe the small microaggression. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, again, I can take small microaggressions and take them really far. I can stretch that mic around and be like, that is the most aggressive thing. How dare you, you know, (laughs) take the straw to break a camel's back. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a big thing, but it could be a big thing. Exactly. Because you've done enough work to prove yourself and that's all internal. No one can dictate that for you. But you can can be at a place where like, no, sir, how dare you come at me with this? And I think that's such an important message that I say to anybody, especially to the women, of course, because I think there has been this like gross conscious or sub, uh, unconscious, whatever, re- regardless, there has been a, a very big resistance to give credit and value where it's due. And I, for one, have been really, really sick of it and trying to defend it when it, I don't want to, I don't even like need, I don't feel the need to defend it. It just is what it is. And I'm going to expose it more now and be like, no, there's never, there's been a lot of dimming light and a lot of apologizing for unnecessary things and a lot of accommodating to energies that, and and behavior that is really unnecessary. So I'm glad that like you had such a good sense of self and that you had gone through so much to be able to be like, this is the value of this business, of this work, of me. And I'm not going to take that. No. And that doesn't even have to be aggressive. And it's just like, no, thank you. No, thank no. you. Because, you know, um, and I, and at some po- times you have to just choose to let go. And mm-hmm. I think that part is very hard sometimes when you have poured a lot of effort. And, yes. you know, personal money, these are my savings. These are not other people's money that I actually spent. My savings, my like dream and all of the things that I wanted to do back home. But sometimes you have to be okay with letting go of those things to um be able to choose something else and yes. give yourself a hundred percent to be able to do right for the next thing that may be the right thing and I think I chose well you did <laughs> uh, I'm telling you I, I will not go on the tirade but the things you are saying I needed to really really hear this right now oh, and so no. I'm very appreciative and I definitely want to give you know, we're already at the hour. I don't care. Um, we'll keep going because I do want to t- talk about cola goodies yes. and how that came because I think the product itself is delicious. Yes. I love it. I love me some milk tea. The story behind it is amazing. The purpose of it, the the way that you are conducting your business. I think there's so much there that is so, I don't, I don't want to say groundbreaking. I think just more and more it's reaching a better, better place. I think in the, in the face of all this capitalism into making business be a vehicle for doing good and for not having it to be completely just about bottom line and greed. And you know, that doesn't have to be. And I love the way that you have built your business and the way that you have instilled certain values in it mm-hmm. is like, the way of the future, in my opinion, there's a way to make business be in alignment with the good of humanity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be at its expense. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's yes. that's what I wish and I will into this world. And that's why I'm so glad that we're talking about it because you're, yeah, what you're doing with Cola Goodies, like, please enlighten us. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's really wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. So yeah, I'll tell a little bit about Cola Goodies and how we came to be here, right? So but like, you know, let's go back all the way when I came here to Pittsburgh and I saw that um, 
I think at that time, coconut oil was becoming super popular. And I looked at the trend and I was like, wait, seriously? Because (laughs) coconut oil is the oil that is used in Sri Lanka for everything. And if you were, the thing that is so interesting about um, how just like global commerce and trends and everything that works is that coconut oil is not trendy back home. But, you know, if you had, if you're middle class or higher, like you want to get vegetable oil or, you know, olive oil. And, and whereas here, everyone is like going towards coconut oil. And I was like, wait, this is so interesting how people are embracing this thing that we were running out of, like, or like we didn't, we were running away from. And that then just kept happening more and more. When I started thinking about, oh, maybe there is an option of me leaving corporate and like kind of trying this like entrepreneurship path for like two years or so. That was like the initial thing. Actually, initially I was like one year. I'm going to give it one year. And Mm. then... (laughs) And then clearly now we're like three years in here Um, (laughs) because nothing happens in one year to anyone who is listening. There's a lot of, it's a process. And um, so once I, so I quit Microsoft, Uh, actually I started even Columbo Co-op while I was working full time. And I had to, because I was depending on my salary in order to fund the business. So there was, so if anyone is actually thinking about, you know, quitting, like set a milestone for where your business should be at and set a milestone for where your savings or your runway should be at. Or even if you have raised how much you are raising to sustain a lifestyle, because, you know, if you're not comfortable or if you have to constantly be thinking about what your rent, how you're going to pay rent or how you're going to eat. Like that's not in service of the business that you're building. So mm-hmm. you have to get those things down first. So, and then what I did was I actually, uh, my goal was that I wanted to one, get a promotion, of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> obviously, because, you know, in my head, I was like, oh, if this doesn't work, I'm going to come back and I'm going to come back at that level uh, to, to back to back into corporate. Right. Um and then the second thing I was goal was to uh, get the business operationally break even so that I can quit and then the business can fund itself. And with Columbo Co-op, we got there in record breaking time in like six months since it launched because we were the first to market. Everyone was super curious. There was nothing like it in the market. So we were able to do that. Right. And I understand with everyone, it's the situation is going to be very different. So you just have to set that marker and so that you just have a direction to go to. So I left uh, end of 2018 and I had this idea of cola goodies uh, basically for a few years, actually, and before the co-working space, uh, to be honest. So I have this like uh, idea one note or like an idea note uh, in my phone where I just like think about things or I would notice things and I'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do something about this? Or wouldn't it be cool to do something about this problem that people are having? And so, uh, and one of the ideas was like, 
bringing kolakanda, which is a, a green uh, breakfast drink that we have in Sri Lanka that I had every day growing up as a breakfast drink or as a drink alternate, as a green drink and a nutritious uh, way to fulfill like, you know, and start your day to the States. And I didn't know how, how to do that or whether people would like that. Or I was just, I had it written as like kolakanda, but in the US, right? And kolakanda mm-hmm. is this drink. And that was kind of the the idea. But then I had like the co-working idea and I went and like, you know, full steam ahead with it. But what it also allowed me to do was go back home often. I was at yeah. this point, I was going back to Sri Lanka so many times uh, to set up. I would even do like, because I was working full time and I couldn't take a lot of time off. I would sometimes do like a Wednesday night where I get there Friday and I come back, like stay there for three, four days and just like come back. Oh my God. I know. It was, that is a trip. It is a 24 hour trip. It was hard, but you had, you've got to do what you got to do at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but what allowed me once I, uh, you know, went full time and I was spending more time back home was just really get connected back with the culture and the people. And I was able to develop relationships with these smallholders and really understand how is, how can I even do this if I do st- do something in the US? Because quickly I realized that I would be able, one, I realized I don't want to move back home. My Mm -hmm. world is very different when I'm in the States and I liked it. I liked the conversations I were having. I liked the opportunities I were having. Um, And I also knew that doing this co-working business alone is not going to sustain me. And I still want, but I still wanted to do something that serves the U.S. market. Uh, But I still wanted it to be something that was very, something unique that I can offer and my experience can offer to that side of the world. Because Mm -hmm. I think a, a lot of immigrants, we tend to, try and fit in. And I definitely try to do that at the very beginning. And then as time goes on and as you realize what your unique asset and value set is, like we have this beautiful, beautiful experience of growing up in an entirely different culture, entirely different communities and part of the world and we know how that works perfectly and then we have another chance to make ourselves and be ourselves in a completely new world and mm-hmm. build a life in a different side of the world and being an immigrant means you have this both of those sides are you and I realized my intersection of what I want to bring in into the U.S. is something that is an intersection of both of those. So like my co-working space was a way of me taking something from here back home to benefit the people there. And then Kola goodies was a way that I can bring my culture and the people who grow these ingredients here in a much more culturally representative way. Because I noticed that turmeric lattes and moringa and mm-hmm. chai and all of these things were getting so popular, which is amazing because people are adapting and open to trying these amazing things that have been there for thousands of years. Yeah. But 
you look at all the people behind those companies, like how many of them are actually started by South Asian founders? How many of them are Asian founded businesses? And I didn't see any. There were these turmeric lattes that were selling so much and none of it was talking about the fact that this is a drink that has existed in India for thousands of years with Ayurvedic roots. And, uh, And that was just just like crazy to me. So as I was thinking about bringing Kolakantha, that's when I thought, oh, there is room. There's other things like turmeric latte that people like to have. Uh, milk tea actually came much later for our portfolio, but that has become like the fastest favorite of what we have, what we are building. So it that's just kind of how it started was like this idea of bringing Kolakantha. I wanted our rep culture represented. I wanted the people who grow these and who people who've had these for thousands of years represented in it. And that shone in such a proud, loud way. Uh, I love it. In this side of the world. I love it. I think you're very, very kind the way that you frame it because I'm not, there are people who are conscious of it. And there's also people who just are unabashedly appropriating and it's like a different form of colonization because you're basically taking something that doesn't belong to you and commodifying it and profiting off of it with no credit or reference or reverence to its origination, which, you know, like that for me personally matters. I think it, it influences a product. It influences its, um, on an energetic level, even I'm like, I don't want to take someone's stolen. And that's how I feel. Like if we're going to live in a capitalistic society, fine. Like, yeah, let's, let's, I like money and I like money to flow, but I don't want it to go towards somebody that has no appreciation for its culture, no respect for a culture. And I think that's something that um, immigrants and children of immigrants have a, a very different purview on that because there's such a unique entry and interaction that we have with the world that, you get pieces of our culture stolen away, be it in food or a restaurant or clothing or music or whatever. And there's just people, Christopher Columbus, that shit. And they're like, we made it. And I was like, no, you did not. You really didn't. And you didn't even, you could still be the person to sell the product or promote it. But like, even it's the way that it's done. If you do that in reverence and with education and with direction and credit or giving back to the communities it comes from, that's different than being like, we made this great drink, this brand new magical concoction. You're like, bruh, we've been doing it for thousands of years. Like to me, it elicits a very like, who do you think you are? How dare you? And um, so, yeah, I think you're very benevolent and gracious. I just have to throw in my mouthing off because I this is bullshit in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. No, it is like, you know, but that's also like, but it's such a beautiful thing in some ways of, uh, people adopting a different culture or like yes. you know of like but if you are really genuinely doing it and not just for the profit or the trendiness of doing mm-hmm. something and sometimes you know people don't know maybe they don't but yeah, maybe exactly. you should be educated about what you're selling right Mm-hmm. so I so that was like kind of this idea of like wait why can't I do that like I can bring these products I have this unique ability like I can speak to the farmer in their language like who else who's selling this right now can actually do that 
right? Yeah. And yeah. I then that was that just gave me the drive to like just it it was really hard because again like I think going back home and trying to do a business it's a very different like I I realized oh my god I'm Sri Lankan but I'm so American in so many ways now because formative years of my like how I when I go to college and my first jobs were in America and that makes me like when I go back home my style is so different I am so American in the way I do work it's like oh yeah this day's deadlines and very direct with my communication that even when I was like in the MVP stages of color goodies uh, we had this design team and I would give feedback of of the design and they thought it was rude and I'm like oh no I'm just telling like what I'm seeing for this but you know like that even though I'm Sri Lankan I realized like because of the way I was like kind of working here and the environments that were I was in it's also so different like I was feeling kind of out of place now going back home because yeah. uh it was a very different work culture and work ethic that I was used to here versus when I was going back home. So there was all of those things. But basically, then I started putting those ideas together. I mean, at the beginning, like this is how far I have come and I have to be proud of myself. I was like, wait, so you do you make this drink and then do you spray dry it? And that's how I powder it. Like that was I tell you not legit an idea that I had. And then someone like I was talking to a friend who does like tea products and he's like, uh, no, that is not how you do it. <laughs> there are powders you can buy and you can mix. I'm like, oh, that totally makes sense. So if you are ever thinking that you're having like a stupid idea, please don't think so because I had a crazy stupid idea. You, you, are, you are ignorant to the actual process and you learned by by giving it a go and putting it onto the universe. <laughs> exactly. I was like, so do you just spray dry this liquid? And he's like, no, you just mix the powders. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. That is so much easier. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, because like, I didn't even like we, when we grew up, like in Kola Kanda, this, our super green latte. So our Kola Kanda then became our super green latte, which we now sell and has, is one of our more, like, what we like Bon Appetit just wrote about it. And it's like amazing for me to be able to bring this drink that is so uniquely Sri Lankan to this side of the world but you know when my mom would make this like everything was by hand like you squeeze the coconut milk you scrape the coconut then you squeeze the coconut milk and then you make the coconut milk and then my dad would go to the markets in the morning get like fresh greens and they in the morning they will just like blend it and then that's how you had it so it's a it's a it's a drink that we have warm uh, and hot in the morning. And it's a mix of coconut milk, rice, uh, ginger, garlic, curry leaf, and all these other herbal leaves like moringa, gotokola, uh, shatavari. so good. Yeah. So it's like so nutritious. And I think, uh, and it keeps you like full for a while. <laughs> so, uh-huh. uh, so that's kind of what we set out to make. So that became our super green latte. And then uh, it just became a thing where I was seeking smallholder farmers in order to uh, source these ingredients and just traveled the entire country 
um, trying to find these ones that we could work with. Uh, and we found some incredible farm partners uh, that help. And, you know, I learned so much. Like you go and thinking, oh, just because I'm Sri Lankan, I know all of these things. No, I didn't know things like, you know, here, if you think about a farmer, the farmers here would be able to transport the, let's say it's olives, right, that you harvest. They'll be able to transport the olives you harvest um, straight to your, let's say, production facility. But in Mm. Sri Lanka, the farmers are at a different level. Like these farmers don't have the means to sometimes transport uh, the moringa that they harvested because they don't own tractors or cars or any of those things they have bicycles and Mm. so that is that's when I learned for example the importance of having a farmer collective or like a partner that helps like collect these things and then processes it so then that we can use it um, as well right so it's just the because these different things like you have to be on the ground meet the people learn like what are the difficulties that they have because ideally I would have like gone straight to one farmer and say hey this is a single sourced moringa product but that means that farmer also has means to have a car, a tractor, a truck to transport. But a lot of the farmers that we source from, they don't have those means. We, our farmer collector and our processor actually goes and collects them from them. So that burden is off the farmer as well in order to be now find a way to sell it. Um, So there's a lot of different ways that I just learned. And, you know, we, it's just been so uh, like, I, I never thought I would be like, you know, doing this type of stuff, but it's just amazing. And, you know, and it has helped me like give back in other ways uh, back home. Like, that's amazing. you know, just. I mean, you're employing people. I, I just think from, I'm a filmmaker and I, I work with creatives and, and every opportunity I have to give my friends jobs, because I know what it's like to be on that end too, to need a gig. It, it, it is, it's life-giving. It can be really, you you make a significant difference on top of the fact that your intention and the values that you put into coming, coming at this very nutritious drink and sharing culture, which is beautiful, in an, an authentic way, in a genuine way, in a healthful way. All of those things, you know, layered on layered. It's, it's a very, it's a different approach. And um, I hope it's, and it's a continuing approach, like I said earlier, to be a blueprint that more and more people are, are are coming by because I do think that that's what happens with culture as we continue to influence it and be influenced by it. We value different things more, right? And so I personally do see this. I, I don't think that uh, capitalism is going to go away like as much as it makes me so annoyed some of the times to always just be marketed to and sold stuff all the time and that my life is so heavily dictated by these things. The the thought behind these products, I think that there is a way to have a discerning eye and then to be thoughtful and to be intentional about what you consume, what you buy. And that's that's the beauty of culture. And, and as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of Andrew, who was a connecting force in our life because what he did with Boba Guys. And I apologize. Like, I wish we had so much more time to talk about all of these programs. But I do want to, like, leave resources because... Really quickly, I'll share that I attempted entrepreneurship, even though, yes, my creative life is a continuing entrepreneurial effort and I'm learning how to get 
proper accounting and legal advice and do all these different foundational things to set myself up to succeed as a business and as a producer and as a filmmaker right now. I learned that during um, like a text in trying to build a web platform the last two years during COVID. And there's so many terminologies and so many just kind of this other culture of entrepreneurial life that like you said, the word MVP, I know what that is, but there's a lot of people that might not know it's a minimally viable product. And those words can can kind of shun people away because they're just like, they're talking shop. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. It's very intimidating. So I'm very curious, like bringing Andrew back into the picture, how those resources played a role in like yet another, you know, awkward or hard thing it might've been for you to just kind of uh, kind of engulf yourself into that world. Because there might be some other people who are really passionate, have all the tools and resources to like make a great product, but that could be the one thing that they're like, I don't know. I don't know anything about getting VC backed or, you know, iterating and optimizing and all, you know, all these words that get thrown around like nothing, but to an outsider, it's very like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I know. It's, it's so, um, it seems like it's a lot, right? Like right now I'm in at this stage where I am also like, really looking into, hey, how do I go and raise? What do I need to have in place? And there are so many words when you're going and trying to raise and get educated about that, that is over there that seems like basic knowledge to everyone else right now. But I'm telling it to anyone who's listening, even me right now being in like business and then trying to do this next step, it seems like a lot. Um, But what I would say is, don't ever be afraid to ask, hey, what does that actually really mean? Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, like you said, MVP, you said like outbreak even, operationally break even, like what does that actually mean? Because um, mind you, that entrepreneur at one point probably was in that same place and would not be offended or judge you for doing that because I I mean, I wouldn't because I was there at that at one point, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I would say one is have as many conversations as possible. Just reach out to people and like have conversations about how they built it. And then sometimes I, and then I wish that I asked for more help and put myself out more at the beginning stages of Colibri's. But this is where like Andrew comes in, like a friend sent me a, an Instagram post of what Boba Guys was doing, right? Like Boba Guys is doing, um, this program for minority founders uh, that might need some help in CPG. And for me, like I had never done anything CPG and I was like, wait, this is amazing. And at the time I had just like moved to San Francisco and I was starting like a new, like, like really launching Cola Goodies. This was like April of 2021. Uh, And I applied and that has been like just having access to the founders, right? Andrew and Bin of Boba Guys. And just being able to talk through challenges I have, ask for advice, um, get introductions. Like, and that has been like the biggest uh, thing for me is like opening doors. And I think Mm. for any immigrant or anyone who doesn't have the networks of founders, I think having that is like the biggest blessing more than even because anything you can learn from YouTube, 
or, you know, Google is your best friend of, for everything. But mm-hmm. the thing that is really, really hard to get is that human connection and the human introductions and getting you to places. Um, so like Andrew asked me one day, like I had just like, you know, I had dinner or some plans and he's like, what are you doing this Saturday? And I'm like, uh, I have plans. And then <laughs> he's like, well, mm-hmm. there's this stand with Asians event happening. Um, do you want to serve the tea there? I'm like... And we hadn't even launched the tea. We had just like, he's like, yeah, maybe just come there, meet some people. Like, it's a great cause. There'll be some great people. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, let's Uh do it. So I think it's just like things like that of like one day that I hope to do also that is like just bringing people along with you and like yeah going up and then I read this thing that I love the expression of yeah you took the elevator to the top floor and now you have to send that elevator down so that people can come up again yes and um so that's what they're doing and I think having founders like that in on your side is it's just going to be super helpful because more than anything, it's just the introductions that has helped me so much so far. Absolutely. I'm totally with you on that. My my foray into being my own business runner of like my Minji Ching LLC, I think that, that you speak so pointedly on the, the human connection element of that and that its value is, is, you can't even calculate that. It's so important. And I think also... The, the, it's not even saying like, cause it can get transactional. I think that's why people don't like that word networking so much sometimes because it can imply a transaction. But I also think that sometimes I've been pretty clear of like, I want to help people get to where they want to go. It is a transaction, but I'm fully okay with that. <laughs> and, um, I think people are always, I also really want to empower everybody to be like, we're, I think people are really good at BS bullshit radar more than we might give ourselves credit for sometimes. And if something feels off or wrong, it's because it usually is. I mean, there's sometimes where your fear and your anxiety can get the best of you for sure. But when you can kind of be discerning and lean into your own instincts and your gut, um, where it might yeah, be scary, but you feel like this risk is worth taking, this application is worth putting in, or, you know, just like, let's give it a shot. That really can, you know, yield some really great results, even if just that you took a chance, even if it doesn't give you like a gazillion dollars, right? Or, you know, launch a product. Exactly. And just like having that mentorship, I think it's like now we're at all the Boba Guy stores. Like you can buy color goodies at any Boba Guy store, which is so huge for us and at this stage of our business. So it's not just that the financial aspect of, you know, programs like, uh, bloom with boba guys but it's just the more aspect of uh i think the biggest thing is like that mentorship that helps and you're so right in it that says like sometimes uh met and i think most times mentorships are transactions but i also want to make sure that like it's a good chance it's a, mm-hmm. it could be good transaction, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of people get something out of giving back. Like even Andrew and Ben, like they are still building, but they've also built such an incredible business. And, you know, they probably get a sense of fulfillment of seeing and bringing all these other entrepreneurs along with them as they get uh, so successful and in their journeys as well. Yeah. But I also say like, you know, sometimes people just like send me 
messages on Instagram or like, can you help with this? Can you help with that? Like, yes, I can, but I'm also trying so hard. Like, you know, it's it's a very different place where you're building as well. And so it gets a little hard at yes. that point where like, I sometimes don't feel like I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, right? And then to be able to help someone. <laughs> and I think it's, it, I think if you're, one thing is like when you're using your mentor's time, being like super um, diligent about that, the fact that it's someone's time, they're also super busy. So yes. how can you like do your do your research, do your yes, do everything that you possibly can so that you're extracting that the most use of that time? Well said. Oh, I love that. That's I didn't even think to say that. That's actually. I won't turn that into a gripe, but I've encountered various um, conversations, most honestly, mostly good because in my leadership positions, people have come to me asking me for advice and um, next steps, which I'm completely honored to do. Um, but it's the way that it's it's done. I think there's a way to do it. Absolutely. And I encourage people to ask and maybe you might get a no because sometimes some people are really, this whole the boundaries thing is like, you have to be really you as a business owner have to be really conscious of your energy, right? If you're in the middle of traveling back and forth to Sri Lanka and you're talking with farmers on a different time zone on the opposite side of the world, you don't have all, in in this time of building, you don't have as much energy or time to give out to everybody, right? And um, that's why we're recording this podcast so that they can can tune in here and they can get everything because it was recorded in one spot at one time. Um, but time and energy is so precious. So being conscious of that, I also have, uh, messed up different asks I've done where I asked some pretty powerful folks out to like a coffee and I was not prepared myself. So I like totally put my own foot in my mouth, like just wanted to be in their presence and learn from them, but I didn't come with very pointed questions. So it kind of meandered a bit and I felt really bad after, um, they're very kind about it. I have done the same. And I think it's just like, it's all a learning. It's a journey, right? And I think if we didn't do that ourselves at one point, we wouldn't know sitting on the other side, like how we now want to change it. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. I'm so glad you brought that up. So be mindful. I think be respectful of someone else's time, especially if they are in a position of power and busy and making deals. It's good to come prepared and and thoughtful and um, not entitled. I'll say that's something that really rubs me the wrong way. It's like, what entitles you to my time or energy or telling you everything that I've learned? You don't, you don't, you're not entitled to that. I want to give that to people that will go with it and do something good with it. But I've been approached by some younger whippersnappers who've been like, so can you like tell me, like, can I just talk to you for like an hour? And I'm like, honey, do you know like what what makes you what? Like it was just it was the attitude. So I say that with all the love in my heart, because I want people to succeed. Like set your questions up well, think ahead if it's not absolutely necessary, or what can be done in an email versus taking someone's time. Um, all that is is a good use of like empathy and strategy, which will go far as you build your business. Yeah. And you know, at this point, like even for me now, like I DM a lot of other founders sometimes and just to like, you know, get in connection or like get connected. And, you know, if I don't get a reply, I am completely, like I completely understand now yeah. because I... And those boundaries are so necessary, especially the, given the last two years that we've been with. So like, you know, the worst thing that you get is like, you don't get an, a reply, but 
that's okay because there are other ways that you can get that same information or get that connection or get that introduction. Um, just don't take it personally because I feel like yeah. I used to be in a place where I took it personally, but now I'm in a place like, you know, if my... I, I totally understand like the, having the boundaries and having like you don't want to be doing work the entire time when you're in social, yeah. you're everything. So, um, yeah. yeah, just get out there, ask for people, get to know, like, you know, create a little tribe that bets on you. And I feel like that's the biggest thing is like sometimes when it's so hard that like one of the questions I asked Andrew is like, Andrew, my ears revenue goals are this and I have zero idea how the hell to get there right <laughs> and then mm-hmm. but you know they are like you know you'll get there just bet on yourself do these these things focus on these these things and I think that is so important to have people who bet on you when you uh sometimes forget to do so but always bet on yourself I love it I love it. Uh, that is just bet on yourself prioritize and have the boundaries and just honestly, it's the the story of persistence. People who believe they can or they will, they will <laughs> at some point. It's a matter of when, not if. I love this. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for sharing such good, necessary advice and reminders. I think there's so many people at different points of their careers and their life journey of just like what they want to do. And there's no timeline that's you know, there's no guidelines really. Like everyone can pivot at any point and everyone's life changes all the time. So if it's not now, maybe it's later, but hopefully what your words were shared that were shared today will be helpful. I It's already helped me. So I'm just very grateful for that. Thank you. Oh, I loved this so much. It was such a good, I, we could chat. I think we did this in our just like getting to know each other call too, where we just chatted <laughs> for an hour. Um, I, I think we could do this forever, but I just absolutely loved this conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Can I, I'm wrapping up each episode with three quick questions for all of my guests so that we can leave on a, on a good, inspiring note. Um, are you ready for my three lightning round questions? Yes. Okay. Number one, what are you grateful for? The sunshine. Love. Oh, and it builds your work. It grows the tea leaves <laughs> and all the plants and it helps your farmers. Uh, B, number two, B or two, whatever. Um, what are you looking forward to? Uh, growth and peace, mm-hmm. which is like my two intentions for this year is like growing, but not at the expense of personal peace. Love. Love, love, love. And lastly, what do you want to leave our listeners with today? Uh, You write your own story. So whether what situation you're in or like whatever is happening in your life, just know that you write your own story. There's always, always a little something that you can do to make something better for yourself. Uh, And bet on yourself. Love it. Thank you so much again and wishing you all the best. And I'm going to be drinking your tea and your other drinks. I'm excited to try the other teas and other beverages and other products because I'm fortunate enough to live actually very close to a boba guys. Yes. (laughs) And shout out to Andrew. We love you for connecting us. Yes. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, boba guys. We'll have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll definitely talk again soon. Thanks, Minji.
Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode with Sajani from Cola Goodies talking about business ownership and entrepreneurship. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. It was such a treat to have you, Sajani, and to get her treats, you can go to colagoodies.com. And that's cola with a K. It's K-O-L-A-G-O-O-D-I-E-S.com. You can check out all of the goods there. It's super beautiful. The artwork, again, like these are all people that Sajani has selected with intention. And you can just see its vibrancy, its beauty. Hope you guys check it out and treat yourself because it's so good. Um, And you can follow Sajani and Cola Goodies on Instagram at Cola Goodies and at Sajani Amarasiri. And we'll have all the links to that in the description if you want to give them a follow and follow her journey and follow her work. Um, thank you to Marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer, and my producer, Anna's son, and my social media team, which is Juliana Deer. Love you guys. Thank you guys for helping me get this amazing episode out. Love you. And uh, thank you to the Potluck Podcast Collective, which I'm a proud member of. Go check out the other shows there. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, want to share it with a friend or keep it bookmarked for future use. Also a good idea. You can subscribe and leave a please leave a five-star review if you enjoyed it because that does help me and the show grow and find its audience, and I really appreciate it. Thank you to everybody who's uh, uh, left a five-star review, especially on Spotify. That's a new feature. So really uh, honored and touched that so many people have gone out of their way to leave me a five-star review. It means, it means a lot to me. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, if you'd like to support, first of all, you can go ahead and go to firstofallpod.com. There's links and whatnot over there. Thank you to my Patreon patrons. I have so much love for you guys. Thank you for helping me keep that microphone on. And uh, yeah, you can reach me at first of all pod on Instagram or my personal page is at Minjeezy. And you can email me at first of all pod at gmail.com. Took me a second. I found it though. This week's Intro music, as always, was provided by Uzuhan, his song Uzu Trap. Thank you very much, Uzuhan. Love ya. And this week's outro music is is a really cool one. I'm very excited to share it um, because I caught this on TikTok and I was like, ooh, this, this song's a vibe. And then I found it. I looked at the title and it was actually uh, 222. It's called Butterfly 222. And I reached out to the artist because I anybody who knows me from collaboration knows I, I, I love finding up-and-coming artists. I love finding independent um, creatives that are out there just making a, making a way for themselves and wanted to feature them on this podcast. And this one is by a young lady named Maya. You can find her at Maya Music. Um, M-A-I-J-A-H is the way you uh, spell her name. And her song, Butterfly 2 to do is our outro music. So please go check out her Spotify, her IG. Um, she's definitely, I think she's got a lot of talent and I, I hope that she continues to make music to make music thank you for blessing this uh, very beautiful energetic day with this good vibe song and hope that you guys manifest all your dreams go go make it happen i believe in you and have a great week i will talk to you guys soon love you bye hey sharon hey Ramen. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. 
Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Remen and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lunyang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. Thank you.